Welcome back to the Project 24 blogging podcast. This is episode 206. Welcome back. We are still recording in this room <laughs> that we just talked to you about. I just thought we should, we might as well tell them. Yep. <laughs> We're having a little marathon today. It's fun. We'll uh, be in the new office soon. And at that point, we can get back to kind of a normal routine. Yeah. Of, yeah. Maybe we yeah. need to have a, a podcast episode about batching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we true. go. That's true. That's what we're doing right now. Uh, by the way, we did go see that office, the new office, which is getting there. Yeah, for it's, sure. it's and getting it's there. Very, very cool. It's amazing, like, how long it takes to do yeah. all the things that happen before they even put up drywall. Yeah. Um, that stuff took a long time. There's a, like the electrician was there for like three weeks. Oh, wow. But um, all that's done. Drywall's up, textured, painted, mm. flooring's going in now. So after the flooring, then it's mostly just finish work. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting there. It will be awesome once we have a couple, you know, we'll be able to have some little events there. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite as far from the uh, airport anymore. Our other yeah. office was quite far quite from out the airport. There. <laughs> this one's not too bad. It's, it's a little bit, but... Uh, definitely closer to town. Or so. in town, yeah. 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 Anyway. Awesome. All right. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about how to find some industry experts um, when you are nece- not necessarily the expert on the article you're writing about. Um, maybe you're in a YMYL niche and you just need that extra help. Obviously, we know that is going to be a little bit tougher. It may take some more time. Um, to rank as opposed to other niches, but it does not mean that you can't do it, especially if you do have some experience. But there's going to be articles where you're probably going to want, you know, a second source. Um, And so we want to talk about some ways to find these types of experts. Absolutely. So first, let's talk about reasons why you would want to find an expert to include in your article. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Absolutely, if you're like in a YMYL niche. And when it comes to YMYL, your money in your life, it's not necessarily just that like niches are or aren't YMYL. It's more about search queries. So if I ask a question that literally having the right answer could could impact me being alive tomorrow right. um, or, or <laughs> yeah. me losing all of my money because you gave me really bad advice, Google is going to be more cautious. So they've built into their algorithm certain types of queries that are just, if you're going to rank high for it, you you just have to have a lot of authoritativeness. And so EEAT is really important. And part of that, you know, part of building EEAT in some of these industries could include being a credentialed professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a CPA, I have passed a certain level of proficiency and have a certain level of experience with accounting. And so for me to answer accounting questions is more legitimate than a person like the actual me who is not a CPA, <laughs> who knows a bunch of finance stuff, but I'm not an accountant and right. I haven't been through the training and I haven't worked in accounting to a level to have a CPA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, so some of those things, uh, YMYL, that's a big one. Um, and then another is just even in non-YMYL, just to build up credibility, EEAT, just to show that your content is credible. Yeah. And so if you can use the name of an expert who is has a reputation that could help you. Yeah. I would like to talk about the word expert for a moment. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think that there are different levels of expert and maybe that's obvious. Maybe it's like, duh. Uh, (laughs) But when we talk about experts in the blogging world, 
especially in the uh, YMYL categories, we probably really are talking about someone who's probably licensed or they're a professional. You know, they they have credentials uh-huh. um, to say that yes, I have the proficiency. You know, I've passed this proficiency. I I know what I'm talking about. And in YMYL, I think that's definitely very important. There are also professionals, kind of the another level of professionals in blogging where they just have the experience and. Google has recently broken out EAT to EEAT to almost kind of pull some of the that in to kind of differentiate between those two. But they're both very valuable, right? Someone who has 30 years experience in farming, you know, <laughs> and growing stuff is going to be very helpful Potatoes. for me, yeah. <laughs> you know, who wants to grow a small garden in my house right. or, or in my backyard or whatever. They're not maybe necessary. Maybe they never got a degree. Yeah, they whatever. didn't get their agriculture right. management degree. <laughs> right. Um, so I don't know if right. they're a credible source or not. Exactly. Yeah. But they have years and years and years of experience. And pulling on their experience or utilizing their experience is really valuable because yeah. they're someone who, well, they may not have the credential. They may not be well known, but they know the topic. Right. And you should definitely utilize those people too, even if you're not in a YMYL space. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you have products that are related to your niche, if you're doing some sort of product review, research the product and look for experts out there who have experience mm-hmm. in it, you know, very in-depth experience, or maybe they work in the industry, like in a brick and mortar business or something like that. I could think of a lot of examples for terrain treaders where uh-huh. you would want to do that. There's tons of products out there that are related oh, yeah. to that. And also I put in here, don't be afraid to actually go somewhere physically mm-hmm. and make connections that way and talk to people because you may have an edge on people who are just looking on the internet right. for these different products or information <laughs> on them. If you can actually find a real person, um, talk to them on a phone, do a Zoom call, email them, but hey, there's nothing like being in person. That's true. I mean, you you can call a shop, you know, and, and ask questions. Like at a business, you call them up and ask questions and oftentimes get good answers. But if you go there, oftentimes you can start chatting with the person. I mean, <laughs> thinking about train traders, like basically every time I've ever been to a store where they sell off-road vehicles, basically everyone that works there, that's like their life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to not have a 20 minute long conversation right right. Um, and that's just how so like steer the conversation in a direction that's helpful for you and learn what you need to learn i it's kind of laughable how many people will go online and it's like okay i'm going to write an article about the best um, dirt biking helmet and they just go do a bunch of research and they say well this one is the most popular and then this one is less expensive and people said it's just as good or almost as good it's like, did you try either of them on? Right. Mm-hmm. Because that helmet was incredibly uncomfortable. Or, <laughs> like, you know, it's like just some of those kinds of things. Yeah. It's like, right. if they are some of the most popular ones, most of the dirt bike shops are going to sell mm-hmm. them. And so if there's a dirt bike shop within 30 minutes of you, like, go to it. Mm-hmm. Try on the helmets. Right. Um, talk to the guys that work there and say, you know, hey, you sell a bunch of these. Like, which one do you sell more of? We sell more of the more expensive one because it's way more comfortable. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually interesting to know. And better commission yeah. too. Yeah. And then you get a better commission. <laughs> and and you can say those kinds of things in your article. I right. think that's another key point. Yeah. If we're going to rely on an expert yeah. in the article, say, hey, you know what? I went to the store and I tried on 10 different helmets. And the most popular helmets sold 
were these ones. The the people at the store told me they sell three times as many of these as anything else because right. they're just incredibly comfortable. You know, if you're going to spend more than an hour a month on a dirt bike, you're going to want to wear something that doesn't give you a headache after 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and some helmets do just, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, or... They may say, hey, you know what? This one's really good. But for people with a giant head like yours, Ricky, um, (laughs) we find that this one over here actually tends to be a better fit. You know, that kind of stuff. I've learned all sorts of things going in and talking to them. You know, when I first got a motorcycle years ago, I walked in to buy a helmet. And and the guy's like, well, do you have a jacket? I was like, well, yeah, I got a good leather jacket. And he's like, is it a motorcycle jacket? Well, no, but it's a leather jacket. He's like, well, there's a difference between full grain and top grain leather. Mm -hmm. If you have just a stylish leather jacket, it's probably just top grain leather, in which case it will shred if you ever leave your bike. If it's a motorcycle jacket, it's the full grain and it's way more durable and it's going to actually protect you. I was like, oh, maybe I need a motorcycle jacket. (laughs) (laughs) And I just learned those kinds of things. And he's a salesman, but at the same time, like it's still good info. And it was true. Like my jacket was definitely like thin leather. It was not going to protect me at all. Um, And so I learned those things just by talking to someone who works in the industry. Yeah. I think there's ways you can do this. I would almost say sneaky research, you know, kind of on the same topic of cars, you know, let's say we're writing about putting a lift on a vehicle Uh and I would just, maybe the articles, what will happen if I put a two inch lift on my forerunner or whatever? Yeah. I don't know what will happen, but someone will, if I call a shop or someone who installs lifts, you know, and then calling them and I could just simply ask, hey, I'm curious to know what would happen if I did this to my yeah. vehicle. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they will answer your question. Yeah. I would consider that sneaky because maybe they think you have an intention to put a lift on your vehicle while as a rider, maybe you don't have the vehicle yourself yet or whatever. But I think it's also valuable to sometimes let them know what you're doing. Yeah. And say, hey. I run this website and I would love to get some information from you. I'd love to cite you as a source and yeah. I'll link to your company website if you'd like. I think that a lot of people, while in reality, maybe that wouldn't do a ton for their business. It might. Um, they still like it. And then it feels like it's kind of this shared value, um, which I think is nice to do. Yeah. And I, I think it would make sense to kind of go that route of saying, hey, you know what? I... I'm writing an article about this, especially if you have multiple, like a whole series of questions. If I'm just going to call and be like, hey, you know what? When people put lifts on forerunners, like what's the most common thing that you normally see? Because, you know, I was reading about, you know, some people putting a lift to add a couple of inches. Um, You know, what would, like asking the question, like what would that do? And Mm -hmm. then, well, what would you recommend? Right. That kind of thing, I think you can just ask. Yeah, because that's a normal question for them. But if if you're like, well, okay, here's the thing. I'm writing an article and I have 47 follow up questions. Yes. If you've got a half an hour to an hour, I'd love to (laughs) I'd love to do an an interview and cite you and we can schedule a time for this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, I have three or four more questions. I think the sneaky approach is fine, especially if you're just going to ask a couple of questions and like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, thanks. That was really helpful. I'm now I know. A little, a little bit more about what I need to know. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I'm pretty careful to not lie, but at the same time, I, you know, you may not always want to come out right and say, cause they might just say, oh, well you just wasted my time. Right. Well, yeah. okay. Sort of not really, but you might also learn like, actually what I find to be more common is uh, we just put bigger wheels on because if you lift it, then your axle is still that low. And so you don't actually get much right. more clearance, which when you're doing an off-road vehicle, you want yep. a little more road clearance. Yep. 
So actually, you can actually just put two inch bigger tires on. Oh well, cool. That's a lot. That's actually cheaper than putting a lift right, kit. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll just do that. Right. <laughs> and now you know, like that's a more popular thing yeah. to do. I actually asked my brother just the other day. He's got a Forerunner. I'm like, are those tires oversized? And he's like, yeah, they're. It's about two inches taller. I said, okay. How much does that impact your speedometer? Mm-hmm. Because it, it is. Yeah. It changes the ratio. Yep. He's like, like about a one mile an hour. Mm-hmm. And actually, I could do the math and find out for sure. Because I'm a math guy, uh-huh. um, and and actually know for sure how much it impacts it, but it's going to be small. Right. And I said, can they adjust speedometers? He's like, well, on new vehicles, I would think that it's in the computer, and they could probably just do it electronically. But on older ones, they can go in and like change the gear ratio, and so there's a part you can buy right. that does that. Because right. I I've always wondered that. I'm like, okay, if I put bigger tires on my suburban, yeah, am I just going to start getting pulled over all the time? Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like. Like, I, it seems like it should be able to be done, but, you know, I just asked, and my brother just knows this stuff because he's just yeah. way into that. Yeah. And you could do the same thing to yeah. the mechanic. Yeah. yeah. And that brings up a good point. Um, family, friends, friends yeah. of friends, other connections. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone at a shop. It doesn't have to be necessarily someone across the internet that you emailed. There's people around you who you would be surprised uh, yeah. that they know. Or, you know, as you talk about what you're doing to someone around you, like, Maybe they'll say, oh, I know someone who does this. You know, like I think that where I live, I think I have like three or four neighbors with lifted forerunners. Yeah. Could I ask them and say, hey, what did you do to your forerunner? Like I don't talk to them really, but, uh-huh. you know, maybe it'd be a great opportunity for me to meet my neighbors or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Know? Bring and them it, some cookies. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, and it can feel awkward to be like, well, how much did you pay to do that? You know, it right. feels like right. you can't ask the money question. But at the same time, if you're showing like genuine interest, yeah. and you're like, hey, that's cool. Like. What did you, your forerunner looks cool. Did you lift it or something? Mm-hmm. And they could say, well, yeah, actually I put a lift kit on it. If you don't mind me asking, like, what does something like that cost? Right. Mm-hmm. And I've asked that question lots of times just out of curiosity. Yeah. Not like how much did you pay, but just framing it differently. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like if I were to do that, how much should I expect to pay? And yeah. people don't feel weird about answering mm-hmm. a question like, oh, well you could, ex- two, 3,000, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they would know because they, they did it. Right. I think that's perfectly fine to ask that kind of question and then you have a a data point right yep and you don't have to be super exact if you wrote it in an article you could say i talked to i talked to someone who had this done and they paid about this much um so you could probably expect somewhere in that ballpark yep Yep. and that's good data for a blog post yep and it just sounds very genuine in in a post like if i were to look at a post like that you know hearing from a real person writing a blog and then also hearing from another real person or several who actually use these products um, or have expertise in it i think that's really cool and it would keep my attention for sure okay and this goes without saying but i'm going to say it anyway obviously have a clear idea of how you're going to cite them or give them credit. Yeah. Uh, you're going to want to do that because obviously it's very helpful and very kind of them to do that for you, but that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I've had people ask like, when do I need a cite versus not? It's like if I call up a business and I take five minutes of someone's time, then I'll probably say, I talk, you know, I talked to someone at this place. They were super helpful and like linked to the store's website, mm-hmm. right? If I asked my neighbor, like, well, what did that run you? And then, you know, like you say, you got like three neighbors with lifted forerunners. Right. Right. So it's <laughs> like, I talked to a few people that I know with, yeah. just say that. Yeah. I talked to a few people I know and this was kind of the range or, you know, three different people and these were the three different setups. Yep. You know, at that point, I'm unless they want me to, like I'm, they probably don't want 
care to have their name in it. Right. If you're like, want to be really, really upfront with them, be like, you know what? I, I, I blog about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Can I right. take a picture of your car? Right. Uh-huh. Then uh, they might be like, yeah, that's cool. And then just blur out the license plate or whatever. Right. And then you could ask like, hey, do you, do you want me to credit you? Uh-huh. In which case on the caption of the photo, you could say, right. um, you know, so-and-so's car. Or um, if they're like, no, I... Like just keep my name out of it. You could just say, um, "This is a picture of my neighbor's forerunner," and I will put that in the caption of a photo now because it actually gives more credibility to right. the photo rather right. than no, this is a stock photo. <laughs> no, no, I took a picture. Yeah. Yeah. This is my neighbor's forerunner yeah. um, that they had lifted. And when you're talking about that option and how much they paid or whatever, you have the photo there. Yeah. Yeah. So the level of citation is going to yeah. vary depending on sort of the situation. But in any sort of like interview where you're taking someone's time or where it would benefit them in any way, plan to cite them. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if someone's like a professional in that industry. Yes, for sure. You for sure want to ask them, but there may be times where they still want to remain anonymous. So it's, you should always just ask what they want to do. Okay. Let's move on to some Q and a, um, this one is from Remco, and they say, hey, after my first blog flopped, I'm super excited about my new niche. It is 100% in line with my interest, my life search for the past 15 years, and I'm sure I could talk about it for the next 15 years. It's slightly in the YMYL area, so I'm in doubt about starting with it, as I also want to earn my full-time income. The question is, would Google consider a blog about mindset control life stress management, and improving someone's mental resilience, a YMYL topic. I know EAT plays a role here. I'm a certified LPN, and I had to Google that actually, uh, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming Coach and a Timeline Therapy Coach. Um, I also had to Google that, and it is uh, to help a person visualize their future. So I would expect this to be treated somewhat in the YMYL space, it's probably not going to be life-threatening stuff that people are writing about. However, in these days where mental health is really a big thing and where there is a lot of anxiety and depression, a lot of other mental health issues where it it really can be like a a matter of life and death in a lot of cases. And so there are probably going to be some search queries in your space that are going to fall more in that and some very heavily in that YMYL space, whereas there are probably a lot of others where it's just like, yeah, you're just giving really helpful information about mindset control, dealing with stress, that kind of stuff. And while that's some kind of in the medical and self-improvement, it's it's dancing that YMYL yeah. line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean don't do it. Um, that doesn't mean you can't succeed. I would say that if I had a top 10 list of the most commonly ask when people come and say, what do you think about this niche? This is the thing I want to make a website about. I would say mental resilience, mindset, self-improvement stuff is definitely in the top 10 list, probably the top five. So it's probably going to be really competitive, (laughs) (laughs) but where you have, um, again, you have some certifications in this space. You probably have a depth of knowledge that goes a lot deeper than most of the people who have asked me about this. And so there are going to be things you're going to write about that they wouldn't even think to write about. Yeah. Um, and it's the thing that you're, that you live, that you're passionate about. So it's kind of like what we've been talking about here. 
with the expertise and finding experts and being an expert. You've got a lot going for you there. So I wouldn't let that hold you back. Just prepare to do the extra work. And if you're not up for doing a YouTube channel, I would at least probably create a podcast and let people hear you and talk to them. I think you're going to actually have a lot more impact on people using that kind of media, at least talking to them, um, if not making videos too. So I would plan to go down that path um, in addition to your blog. Then it's a question of monetization for your full-time income. I mean, sure, you can do ads. There are not a lot of physical products there, probably. (laughs) Um, And so we're probably looking at trying to create some info products, which there's just so many people who would love to have some help in this space that, and there's, it can be expensive to get help in this space. So if you can provide people with a maybe less expensive option to learn, um, I don't know, you might be able to do an info product that just gets huge volume. Mm -hmm. And so you could make really good income from that. So I I think it's a, it's a doable um, niche, especially given your 15 years of experience (laughs) in this space. Yeah. Uh, that's why I included this question, which it's a great question, but I see this question a lot in the community. So I figured what a few of you could benefit from this. The last question is from Diana one and they say, I have a website in Danish. It's been live since 2015 and I've been posting on and off on it. I made a YouTube channel in English and I want to start blogging in English as well. The topic is the same. Would it be smarter to buy a new domain for the English blog posts or just make a separate menu for the English blog posts on my existing Danish site? So there are, I think, plugins still that do this. I don't know how common it is anymore because of Google Translate, just that we'll just translate stuff. But there are plugins where you can sort of, it's almost like a toggle switch. Yeah. And it switches it to the English version. You create all the English stuff. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that you rely on Google Translate to do it for you, but where you create an English version of the homepage and an English version of everything, basically, that you want. And so when people come and want to, you know, their IP address is identified as coming from an English-speaking country, that defaults to that, but they could easily toggle yeah. to the other version. I've seen a lot of that. My concern with this is that um, we're reaching a point where Google is starting to index content from all languages and treat it as the same, and then just provide it using Google Translate in whatever language the user is in. So if I go to, like if I look up a Brazilian recipe. And when I look up Brazilian recipes, I search in Portuguese because I don't want an Americanized version of the uh, Brazilian right. dish. I yeah. want the Brazilian dish. And right. so I I search it in Portuguese because I'm going to get a more authentic version, right? But then every time I end up on some Brazilian recipe site and I get to the recipe and then it asks me immediately, do you want me to translate this page to English? And I've done it. I've read them in Portuguese, and then I've translated into English, and the translations are pretty good with the exception of a few things with recipe instructions and measurements. Sometimes it misinterprets because, you know, like a teaspoon isn't called a teaspoon in Portuguese. It's something else, right? So it doesn't directly translate as well. And so sometimes it will mix up things there, but it's usually quite good. And with AI, AI translating right now is getting to be really good. It's getting to the point where the AI translators out there can translate. They translate way faster than humans, of course, but also it's getting to the point where the edits that need to be made, like if an if a real translator, a person edits a translation and makes corrections, the AI, the number of corrections needing to be made are going 
further and further and further down. And so translation is just getting better and better. So my point here is this, having an English version and a Danish version, you may not get any additional traffic because Google's indexing them both and treating them as the same thing. And basically English speaking people will already be able to see your website. If they can't now, it will be very soon that Google will just start surfacing content from anywhere in the world and just giving me those results as if it were just an English website. I don't know, just something to think about. I don't know, I don't know if it's worth the effort. Maybe try it on a couple articles. Yeah, maybe before, see what happens. Yeah, maybe just do like a little test case before you really dive into the entire project. Yeah. I don't know. It's a tough one. It was really common for a while, but I just don't know yeah. how much now it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. It creates a lot of extra work, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day. Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but is not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because, like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.